This is the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Welcome to the ATP Radio Tennis Podcast. Steve Pearce with you. Alongside me is uh, Lucy Arl. And we've uh, witnessed this week the resurgence of a man who uh, is the world number one. And that makes little sense when you think about it. But the way that Novak Djokovic's form has dipped after Melbourne and the way he is now tapering at exactly the right point as we lead in towards Roland Garros and has come away with the title here is quite outstanding, isn't it? It really is. It was all planned. Uh, I'm sure he'll say, but no, I mean, you're exactly right. I mean, his form has dipped by his standards. It it hasn't been a good run after the Australian Open, but he has certainly come into some form at the right time, hasn't he? I mean, his last couple of matches, he really has stepped up a couple of gears and he's obviously got Rome ahead of him and and then the Grand Slam and you know, you, you are swaying towards him as uh, possibly getting another title. Oh, yeah. Now, the final today was really his story. He dominated it. He had a rocky first service game. But from then on, he had Stefanos Tsitsipas really exactly where he wanted. It wasn't the, the sort of one and love scoreline. But needless to say, the, 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 the way the match progressed, it was always on Novak Djokovic's racket. And uh, he eventually ran out in, in a couple of reasonably well contested sets 6364 the familiar routine Djokovic is ready on the second serve now and he serves right at Sitsipas who gets out of the way to play a forehand goes back behind him Sitsipas is there with the backhand inside out forehand from Djokovic up the line Sitsipas on the run the Greek pushes Djokovic right back good depth from him he keeps attacking Djokovic is there comfortable enough with the defense at the moment cross court the pair go switching onto the off forehand with Djokovic nice slice from Sitsipas but coming in towards the net Djokovic calmly strokes away the winner and he reminds us it's he who is the best player on the planet the world number one outplays and outthinks Stefano Tsitsipas straight sets for a third mature Madrid Open title so uh, very pleased uh, I was saying after yesterday's semi-final win that that was very very important win for me for my confidence uh, I wasn't playing my best tennis uh, after Australia so I was looking to you know to uh, regain the, the momentum this week and I, I started off well I I didn't drop the set the entire tournament so you know I'm very pleased I've, I've played some of my best tennis here a real number one performance I thought especially in that first set you didn't allow Stefanos to settle at all was that part of the game plan going into the match I mean obviously you know I, I needed to step in I mean he He's very talented. He beat Rafa yesterday, and they—they, they, I think they finished the match around midnight. And you know, he had a very, very late night. I could see he um, wasn't as dynamic in the movements as he was last night, and that's probably due to a long match he's had. But he's had a, you know, terrific week, and uh, it's a big win, obviously, for for me today and, and in this tournament. And I'm really looking forward to uh, continue the the streak in Rome. And a 33rd Masters 1000 title for you. Brings you level with Rafa. How pleasing is that? You know, these are, these are the best tournaments, biggest tournaments we have in, in our sport in ATP, uh, of course, alongside the Grand Slam. So, 
this is as as, uh, as important and as good as it gets. You know, uh, in terms of uh, tournament size and organization. You know, I'm very pleased. I feel very uh, very comfortable, very welcome here. I have uh, also family living in Spain, so uh, I enjoy it. So Novak Djokovic can uh, reflect on what was uh, really a wonderful week for him. But Novak wasn't the only story this week. As well as he probably goes into Rome, maybe now as favourite and maybe people's favourite for Roland Garros, there were a lot of other stories that captured our attention, weren't there, on ATP Tennis Radio during the week? There really were, and I mean, I guess first and foremost, we've got to talk about David Ferrer, who, of course, uh, played his his final match here in Madrid, and he was able to come through his opening match. He was a wild card, of course, here, and, and beat uh, Batista Agut in three tight sets and then went out against Verev. But, uh, I mean... Uh, I mean, he had more than a standing ovation, didn't he? And I mean, it was it was great to see see him be able to get such a send off. I mean, he's had such a fantastic, amazing career. career, amazing career. And you know, he's one of those guys that if you if you talk to people who sort of dip in and out of tennis, they'll think of Ferrer as just that kind of guy who kept cropping up and kept getting beaten at the back end of major championships. But he was so much more than that. He was a wonderful player, won some huge tournaments. And, you know, he had the misfortune of performing in this ridiculous era where, you know, only three or four people can really win, save a couple of, you know, random ones, win the major titles. And David Ferrer was up the top of the game for so long, achieved so much and is so well respected. He really was, and I think that's the big thing. And he's actually there was a, a statement that he that he made. I mean, if you if you look on social media, you'll be able to find it, mm. which a lot of coaches and players have retweeted because he, he talks about you know how he feels he's conducted himself, and he hopes that that everyone you know views him and remembers him as a, a, a really good, decent person. And, and that's exactly what he was. I mean, he was such a competitor. He worked so hard every single match. He, he never he left anything in, in the locker room at all. It was all left out there. And uh, I mean, it was it was fantastic to, to be able to watch him play. And uh, as I say, I mean, he, he really did have a, a great send off. Now, a chap called uh, Roger Federer played here for the first time in four years. He did, and uh, I mean, I think people in in Madrid uh, didn't know whether he was gonna, ever going to come back again. And, and you, were you surprised he did? No, I think um, obviously we haven't seen him for a couple of seasons, so there was a question mark. But I think he he feels that his his body's in in good shape. I mean, he's a player that over the last few years has has sort of managed his schedule and hasn't played as many mm. events. And having missed the clay court season a couple of times, he uh, he decided to play, and it was great to see. And uh, I mean, he was clear in terms of how he he wanted to play on this surface. Obviously, a little quicker here, so. You can be more aggressive. I mean, it, the amount of times he served and volleyed, any opportunity to get forward behind the return or, or during the rally, he did. And, I mean, he had a, a relatively comfortable match against Richard Gasquet in his opening round and then a, a real epic 7-6 in the third against Monfils where match points down, he actually served and volleyed on the second serve and then <laughs> up against team where he played a really good match and, and had those match points in the second set, which he wasn't able to take that time and losing a, a tight 
uh, third set, 6-4 in the third. So he was disappointed not to have taken those opportunities. Anyone would be if you do have match points. But I think he was uh, very pleased with, with how he played. And, and then he made the decision that he, he will play Roman, of course, the French Open. Briefly, Nadal, I mean semis so far is all he can do on the clay it's almost unheard of it pretty much is unheard of in fairness going back to well i don't know 2004 or something you know it's 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 ridiculous how successful he's been and it's almost ridiculous how he's now struggling for success can he what how does he reflect on this and is he is he uh, a better is he is he the favorite for rome I don't think he's the favourite going in, no, because of, of um, you know, the form that he's had. But if anyone can turn it around, it's mm. Nadal. I mean, he's so determined. What do you make he? of the way he played here? Well, I think the match that stood out for me was how he played against Vavrenka, yeah. which is why I was so surprised that he that he got off to a bit of a slow start against Tsitsipas. But then having rolled through that second set, really out of nowhere, the last few games, he, he won those very quickly, levelled it up. You you felt that, OK, Nadal is, is going to roll through this third set because he's desperate to, to get past the semi-final and get a title leading into the French Open because, as you say, I mean, it's pretty unheard of. So, I mean, disappointment for him. I mean, he'd be going back out on the practice court, that's for sure. And you know, it wouldn't surprise me if he, he's able to to turn it around and, and actually step up and perform in Rome. But even if he doesn't win the title in Rome, you've still got to put him as a, quite a heavy favourite going into the French Open. I mean, he's won 11 of them. That's ridiculous. I mean, how, does, how can he be disappointed when you've got, you've got 11 French <laughs> Opens, 11 Monte Carlos, 11 Barcelonas, five Mature Madrid Opens, eight Rome? I mean, where do you even find disappointment from in that? He is such a character and on this dirt it just he just hates losing any match he just hates it seb lozier has been bringing us some uh, wonderful content some terrific interviews and features right throughout this week on atp tennis radio in madrid well i'm delighted to to be here with apostolos Tsitsipas, coach and father of stefano Tsitsipas. I spoke with Steph earlier in the week and asked him if he was almost surprised by how quickly all this has happened. You know, he was qualifying for these events this time last year. He said, no, not really, because he's put in so much work. Can you tell us, what is that work? What has he been doing to, you know, to improve his game so much? You know, tennis is something like very active. You know, it's not like I improve and uh, I remain like... I just remain the way I am, but I need to improve every day. And uh, he commit himself in tennis, and he's working very hard every day. So, and uh, that's definitely takes some time to all all the things to come together and uh, give that result right now. Um, definitely, is many hours of job. I think uh, fitness-wise, he worked really very very well with his fitness coach and. Uh, I think when he starts feeling that his body now is stronger and uh, he could stay longer in the court with more intensity, uh, this one really managed. This one was an important factor for him to to bring out good tennis, you know, to 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 bring all the all his abilities together and uh, create what he creates so far. Yeah, I mean, physically, I was standing behind him in the queue for lunch the other day, and, uh, you know, he blocks out the sun. His, he, has he put in a lot of work in the gym? Yes, of course. Um, I think he's also a big guy. You know, he's 196, if I'm not wrong. So he's a big guy, 
I mean, his uh, development is like to the end. I think he's 20 so far, and maybe one or two more years. He still has some grow up a little bit his uh, mass, his uh, muscles, and uh, I think it's very important. You know, tennis today becomes very physical, and that's important factor. If you don't complete physically, it's difficult to produce the best you can. I mentioned you're his coach, but also his father. Sitting there and watching your son, I mean, you must be immeasurably proud. Yeah, sometimes I forget about uh, this role because I'm so much into his uh, coaching stuff. Uh, yes, I'm very proud, uh, but mainly I'm very proud because he's a good guy. He's a good boy. Uh, he shows that he has good principles for life and uh, he loves what he does. And he definitely, you know, makes me to feel that I, I, really, I really should feel proud and I, should, uh, I didn't do anything wrong during his development. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Available on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn and ATPTour.com. We're outside the player restaurant and I'm delighted to be joined by Nicolas Massou, coach of Dominic Team. And Nico, this clay court swing, it just keeps on getting better. Wow, playing so well, you must be delighted. Yeah, I'm, I'm very happy the way that Dominic is playing. I think when, since we start almost two months ago, he had a very good result. He won Indian Wells Tournament and Barcelona, and now here, and playing with difficult opponents. So I'm very happy because he's playing well. He's regular now. I think in every tournament he's playing, I think, in a good level. And it's not so easy to do that because normally all the conditions, all the conditions are different. Here's a little bit of altitude. The ball is faster. Barcelona was slow. So all the tournaments are different, but uh, Dominic is it. The adaption of him is uh, very good. What's been the secret to that? You say he's more consistent now than he than he has been in the past. Um, has that just been a case of changing the way he's thinking about the game or things that you've been doing on the practice court? No, I think that Dominic always was regular. To be top eight in the world the last three years and play three times in a row in London in the Masters is because you are regular. That's why I think he, he had an unbelievable career. And now I think... Uh, he started the, the year with some healthy problems. He retired in Australia. He didn't play the Davis Cup against us in, in February. Then he arrived to the South American uh, clay court season, like recovering from the, the problems that healthy problems that he had. So now we are working like every day. We try to give it 100% every day, trying to work the things that we, we think that uh, he needs and well he have a unbelievable talent uh, for example I can we make some exercise or some things and he make it so fast he have the talent to do that just finally Nico I remember when we spoke in Monte Carlo you said that part of what you're doing with Dominic is sharing with him your experiences from the tour of course you made the final in Madrid uh, well, a little while ago now but uh, that all part of the experience and passing it on yes I make final here in 2003 was of one of my best tournaments in, tournaments in my career uh, was in indoor hardcourt or carpet similar I don't know but uh, yes one of my favorite uh, tournaments was this one good the best memories of my career also one of my best and uh, yeah, I try to pass my experience. Um, I think Dominic is a 
uh, still young, to he's still 25, but also he's in an age that he has a lot of experience also. So it's a mix. And I try to do my best. I think that I have my own personality. Uh, we start to work like together like only two months ago. So every day for us is important because every day I start to know more Dominic and he start to know me more. So every day is important for us and I think that results are coming so fast. We are, we are happy that results are coming so, so fast. Uh, but you know, tennis is like a sport. Sometimes you are in unbelievable moments, sometimes not too good. But the important thing is to work hard every day, to keep going every day and try to have these results. But now we are happy because the results are coming so fast. But we need to continue. On iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn and ATPTour.com, this is the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. I am here outside the players' dining room with Yannick Fatbert, one half of Stan Wawrinka's coaching team, the other half, Magnus Norman. Yannick, you're here this week in, in Madrid with Stan, and what a week it's been. First of all, thanks very much for, for talking with us. Um, what have you made of how he's played so far into a, a quarter-final at a Masters 1000? Yeah, we are really happy about uh, the way he's playing now. Uh, it's been one year, one year and a half. We are, it was a long way to come back, and especially to come back at his level, and it's really a big pleasure to see him like this on the court. What's pleasing you most about the way he's playing? I think he he moves again very well, like before, and uh, he's uh, hitting again very hard uh, on baseline and on serve, and we can we can see again this uh, iron heat he can he can have, and and it's really so good, and we are so happy to be here. So how does that work in practice with you and Magnus? Do you literally do alternate tournaments? What do you do? Yeah, we are sharing the year, so we are discussing the plan together. And, uh, and after we decided who is going to do which tournament. And, uh, and sometimes we do all together, like the, the week before, uh, before to come here, we were together in Geneva to practice. And sometimes we do tournament together. Because Magnus stepped, a, stepped away for a little while. I think he wanted to be with his family for, for a bit. Um, were you with Stan all the way through? Yeah, uh, I was during this period. I was, uh, I was there, but I couldn't do anything because he was not working. And, uh, and so I, I was there mentally, but uh, I couldn't do really my job. Um, but yeah, after we started together and, uh, and uh, it's also a good things for all the team that Magnus can, could come back after. Yeah, and I think Magnus has said on the record that really he only wanted to come back if Stan wanted to get right back up to the top. Um, is that Stan's motivation still to get back into the top 10 and, and to win these tournaments? Yes, for sure. I think uh, he wants to be back at, at his level. At, and uh, the, for sure, we don't put an, a number at the end. But uh, the, the, the first goal was to, to be back at his level, moving again the same. And uh, I think the doctor and uh, his, uh, his physical coach did uh, an amazing job. And, uh, and because of us, he can play at his level today. What's Stan like as well off the court? Because he seems, a, he seems such a, a relaxed guy. Um, you must have got to know each other pretty well when he was going through the, the bad times. Yeah, for sure it was tough. Uh, I think it was really tough for him. And uh, it was a new situation. He never went through this situation, and, uh, and me neither. And uh, for sure it was, I think he was anxious because 
you know maybe you can never play at this level again and maybe you have to stop the, the tennis completely so it was very very stressful for him and um, yeah it's also why he's so good now and so happy to to play at his level again do you think it's a different stan we're seeing now you know since he's come back I think for sure you you learn something about this uh, this moment and this tough moment for sure makes you stronger. And uh, after he's still the same guy, still still the the relaxed guy and then happy uh, happy he is and uh, and maybe even more happy. <laughs> and but for sure he learned something and I hope it's gonna be helpful for for the next uh, few years. It's not every day we get to talk with wives of players, but Susan Shardy has agreed to talk with us on ATP Tennis Radio, so thanks very much. Um, former coach as well of Jeremy Shardy. <laughs> well, former coach. I would say I'm more of a uh, kind of a mental coach, yes. Chef, personal assistant and wife, yeah. <laughs> What's it like watching him? Oh, Incredibly um, nerve-wracking at times, but it's also inspiring because when I watch him, I want to play more. But obviously I don't play the same as he does, but um, I love watching him. It's always a pleasure. You played yourself? Uh, I played at school when I was, uh, I started at like six years old and I wanted to be a tennis player, but I married one, so it's just as good, I guess. <laughs> but I, um, no, I played up until university in London. I always wonder what it's like being the, the other half of a tennis player because these guys travel so much. I mean, how much of the tour do you get to do with Jeremy? Um, because of my job, it's quite flexible. I'm able to do quite a lot. So I travel with him most of the year, which is, you know, special for us because we get to spend more time together. I don't know how other couples do it. It's really difficult being apart. Um, we're lucky to travel together and see the world together and hopefully win together. <laughs> I'm just about to talk with him, but I think he's just told a French journalist that that's the best he's ever played on clay. Yes. Uh, well, for, I was going to say that as coach. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's, it's the best match I've seen him play. The French guys must come under so much scrutiny at this time of year. They must feel like they're in a pressure cooker. Yeah, especially with Clay and Roland Garros coming up. They're all, well, I don't know, I can't speak for everybody else, but I know for Jeremy, he's worked extremely hard um, to prepare himself for, you know, the big one for them. And it's at home and it's, it is his favourite tournament. I wish he would say Wimbledon was, <laughs> but um, <laughs> Roland Garros is his favourite. And yeah, it's really stressful, but... You know, to get the wins, it's enjoyable for him and it, it builds the confidence so that he's going to be ready for, for the big one. I was going to say, he almost gets a double whammy because you live in London, you live in Parsons Green, he was telling me before. Yeah. Um, so do Wimbledon almost treat him as one of their own as well? Yeah, they do actually, which is nice. I get to ride that bandwagon too, which is nice. Um, yeah, no, they're really friendly and they treat us, they'll treat him like, you know, he's, he's, he's one of them, which is really nice. And Queen's does as well. So both great tournaments. I love both of them because Queen's so intimate and Wimbledon is, I mean, there's no other thing to say. It's Wimbledon. It's amazing. So. You, you mentioned you travel with him. Are you a, you're a model, I think. Is that right? Yes. What's your favourite tournament or what's your favourite city that you that you visit with him? Oh, my goodness. That's a really hard question. Because um, I don't get to see a lot of the cities unless I make the conscious effort to. Um, I really enjoyed Sydney. Brisbane actually was really nice. I felt like I could live in Brisbane if I had to. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think that's probably one of my favourites, I think, that we've been to. Can't think off the top of my head, yeah. Madrid? Madrid is nice. I haven't seen anything yet. Mm. I would say London, but that's biased. So <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll stick with Sydney and Brisbane I loved. 
Well, thank you. It's so lovely to talk to you. I, I'm hoping that he's just about to finish with uh, the rest of his French interviews. He'll come and talk with me. But, Susan, thanks very much. Thank you so much. And you'll get, some, uh, get him practicing his English now. The French is done. Let's get him on the English radio. <laughs> his English is pretty good. <laughs> Well, here he is, Jeremy Shardy. Jeremy, I've just spoken with your wife, Susan, your former coach. Uh, I hope you don't mind. She said it's the best match of your career on clay. Do you agree? Yeah, I think uh, at least one of the, the, the most solid match. Uh, yeah, I played perfect today from the beginning to end. My tactic was really clear and I started the match really well. And uh, yeah, it was a match perfect. It's not every day like this, so <laughs> you just need to enjoy a match like this. Because you, I think you've been to Madrid what, six times. It's your sixth time here. You, you've never made it into the round of 16. Um, what, what's different this year? I don't know. Uh, I arrived with uh, no confidence, <laughs> uh, but I was playing really good in practice. So uh, now I, I play two really good matches, so I just need to continue like this. Well, yeah, and try and play a third really good match against Novak Djokovic. I don't think you've, you've played him 12 times. It's always been pretty tough, hasn't it? You've not got a set, but uh, how, how can you switch that round? Uh, I have no idea, man. <laughs> Novak is one of the best. I never win a set against him. Uh, today I play really good. I will try to do the same. But uh, yeah, we'll have to try, to try to play a perfect match again. <laughs> uh, but uh, no, I don't know. I really don't know the tactic. Uh, I really count on my coaches <laughs> to find the tactic for me because uh, I try many different things against him, but uh, <laughs> no result. So today is a new day. Uh, I hope uh, maybe I will try to win my first set and maybe the match. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Well, we're here with Gail Monfils. Uh, Gail, win or lose, it's always a pleasure to talk with you. But we're going to talk about something a little bit different today because... You have a documentary team yeah. following you and Elena, your, your girlfriend, Elena Svitolina, your every move. And I understand that this is something that you invited. So t- talk to me about it. Why, why do a documentary? Yeah, with, uh, with Elena, you know, uh, we had this, uh, this idea, you know, to show um, the behind the scene uh, of uh, two athletes, you know, uh, actually uh, who live together and, uh, and have the same dream, you know. And to show, you know, how differences, you know, uh, about uh, her, what she's doing, and me, what I'm doing. Uh, but at the end, we have the same goals. So, yeah, we try to, uh, to, uh, yeah, to, uh, to show fans a little bit inside, and uh, I think that's a cool idea. So, how much access are you giving these guys? You know, are they with you all day? Almost all day, you know, almost all days, you know. Uh, yeah, they are, they're here, uh, you know, at home. They're, they're here in the tournament. Uh, they have access in the tournament. That's great. Uh, they, uh, we talk to them uh, definitely the most of the time, but uh, I hope uh, I hope they enjoy it also because uh, you know it's, it's them, you know, it's them to, to show uh, to fans, you know, what uh, what uh, what they think uh, is great, you know, and uh, you know we I think both we enjoy it and uh, that's good. So it's to show your life or the life of a tennis player. Uh, I think uh, both because my life is tennis, you know, it's uh, it's uh, yeah our life is tennis, you know, so. It's more like um, you know how uh, how we are in life, um, towards uh, to be a tennis player. You know what we do, because uh, uh, basically you know actually we, we were at uh, the rehab at the same time when we start. You know, so you guys will see like the rehab, the workouts, and uh, and then uh, yeah, in between matches uh, and uh, yeah, a little bit of life. But uh, most of the most of the time is behind the scene of tennis, because as you know, you know we play almost every week. 
and I guess it's going to end up on the Gems Life Instagram account. Um, talk to me about Gems Life. It's Gail, Elena, um, Monfils, Svitolina. Um, why, why did you want to do this? Well, you know, uh, with Elena, you know, we thought it was cool ideas, you know, and uh, actually when he first came up uh, uh, at Australian Open, you know, we want to control a little bit uh, what's uh, going to happen and show the fans, you know. Uh, oh, Mito! J'arrive! Ah, tu as la fraise? On s'écrit. Sorry, Vastan Vavrinka. And uh, yeah, we just want to control and show like uh, what it is real, you know, what we want to show, you know, we want to share with fans. Uh, it was cool, you know, it was just an idea just to be closer with fans and uh, nothing special. And when you pledged $100 each uh, for the Aces yeah. earlier in the season, mm -hmm. I read that it, you reckon it made your serve better. Was that right? Well, obviously people will say that, no? Because, you know, I've been working on my serve. We were indoors, you know, so it's a little bit easier to ace, you know, on, on, on indoors. But uh, uh, it was great at the time because, you know, I think I had uh, great, ones, great runs on the tournament. So it was great, actually, for the cause. And yesterday we saw you play an, an outrageous shot as part of the way you play. I mean, even today against Roger, you, you didn't end up on, the, on the, the right end of the score sheet. But is that how you want to be seen, be remembered in, say, 10 years' time as an entertainer? That, to be honest, I'm just myself, you know. It's all very natural, you know. I, I love to enjoy myself, you know, around, you know. I think we're blessed to play tennis, you know. I'm blessed to, uh, to play in a packed stadium against a le legend of tennis, you know. It, it's just great, you know. I just enjoy myself, you know. Yeah, it's lovely to talk to you, and then good luck with the documentary. Thank you. Thank you. And as you're here, Jeremy, one of the two directors of the documentary, let, let's talk about this. I mean, first of all, what was it like to be contacted by Gail in the first place and asked to do this? Must have been incredible. Yeah, of course, it's incredible. Uh, we had uh, one friend in common, and uh, he knew my work, and uh, he contacted me uh, when he was uh, in his uh, Rotterdam tournament that he won finally so maybe we have a good feeling we had a good feeling together and um, we took uh, maybe about uh, two or three weeks uh, and uh, finally we said uh, it's better to to film uh, during the, um, the the clay season and have you ever been given this amount of access before by a professional athlete i mean this this is pretty rare isn't it it's, I think, uh, the first time uh, in tennis. Uh, that's the, the first thing that the girl told me uh, when he, he, he called me first. Uh, I want to do uh, some, something who we never been uh, done before. They will see a lot of things, a lot of intimate things, like uh, when he, uh, he is at home, even when he is um, cutting his hair and uh, stuff like this. So. We have a lot of tennis, we have a lot of um, happy moments and uh, tough moments too. So we are with them uh, all the time. So give me an idea on a day-to-day -day basis, say here at the Mutua Madrid Open, what you've been doing with Gail and also with Elena, of course. Unfortunately, uh, Elena lost uh, at the first match. Um, so now we are most uh, with Gail uh, and he just lost with, against Federer, so um, there, there was a lot of um, emotions during uh, all the, the matches, uh, even uh, today, uh, mostly. We follow Elena uh, during the girls' match uh, to see the, her reaction, uh, and it's the same uh, in the opposite. So. 
And we've all seen what Gale's like on the court, but of course nobody else sees what he's like away from the tennis court. Is he the same sort of effervescent, entertaining guy? Yeah, I think uh, he shows uh, every day uh, that he's a very uh, he's an entertainer, uh, even in the court. Uh, and for sure, he's the same uh, at home <laughs> because we we are we we are almost living with him. <laughs> so, yeah, he's a very very funny guy and very kind guy. And of course, this is all in the lead up to, to Roland Garros, the second Grand Slam of the year. Um, so it's great timing because all of France is going to want to watch this, um, or, and fans all around the world. I mean, what what is the plan for for finishing the film, and where's it going to be? The plan is uh, the victory, <laughs> of course. If he could win uh, in Roland Garros, it will be the most beautiful film uh, in sports <laughs> for France, I think. But um, yeah, we, we don't know. Uh, tennis, um, it's very hard. Uh, and uh, he has uh, too much points today and uh, finally lost. So we don't know. So it's um, minute after minute and uh, we, um, we enjoy. And we can assume that it'll be on his and Alina's Instagram account, the uh, Gems Life. Anywhere else? Where, where are fans going to be able to watch it? We don't know. Gael and Elena will decide. But I think it will be on, on YouTube and Instagram. But uh, maybe if uh, the, the film uh, has a very happy end, uh, it will, will be more. And who knows? Good luck with the rest of the project. If it goes well, it's probably the first of many. You'll have all the players asking you to do them. We hope so. <laughs> Thank you. The Mutua Madrid Open 2019 will forever go down as the final chapter in the wonderful career of former world number three, David Ferrer. Since turning pro at the turn of the millennium, the Spaniard has won 27 singles titles, including a Masters 1000 in Paris and another two doubles titles. In the build-up to his retirement, players, former players, coaches and commentators have been only too happy to reflect on the man and his career for ATP, Tennis Radio and Tennis TV. Here's a selection of those, starting with Sasha Zverev and Diego Schwartzman. But the first voice you'll hear is a good friend of his, Feliciano Lopez, now the tournament director at Ferrer's final event in Madrid. I think he, he's a player that everybody loves. And I told him many times that he's, he's going to leave the sport with, uh, with the respect and the admiration from all of us. Besides all his titles, everything he did, which is amazing, nearly 30 titles. Uh, he's been top 10, I think, nearly eight or nine years. He played seven times in Masters. I mean, we, we, we can, you know, keep talking about his, you know, career for, for so long, but... Uh, also, as a person, he's a very special one. I, I played David the first time when we were 10 or 11, and uh, he was already a warrior. He, he could not have said that I was beating him at <laughs> this time. But uh, yeah, he's, you know, you, you see everybody, and uh, he's, now he realized how much everyone, everybody loves him you know, in, in the sport. And it is very sad to, to say goodbye to a friend and, 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 and to say goodbye also to a fantastic player, but this is life, you know, there, is, there, is, there will be one day where you have to stop playing. I think he's going to be very happy with his new life. 
uh, with his uh, son Leo, and, and, and this is life. No, he's going to spend all all his life now without thinking about practicing, going to the gym, be ready, and yeah, I'm very happy for him. He has so many records. He has so many things that he has achieved. He's one for me, one of the greatest fighters that we've ever seen in tennis, and. Uh, you know, we always talk about Nadal, how great of a fighter he is. I think Fiverr is, is not far away. And maybe even uh, maybe even with Nadal, the two greatest fighters ever in tennis. And, uh, you know, I, I wish him nothing but the best. I have so much respect for him. I have so much respect for what he's done. We've play, I've played him a few times now. It's always a very tough match. Uh, he never gives up. And you know, I wish him so much. And, um, you know, obviously, I, I hope he can enjoy the life after the tour as well. In every tournament I have, I think he has a good record in Buenos Aires as well. So he chose uh, the best tournament in his career. So it's great to have David Ferrer close to me. And uh, he was a big, big player in, in, in this time of, of the tennis with Djokovic, Nadal, Federer. So, so it's, it's great to have a good relationship uh, with him inside the court, outside the court. And I'm trying to learn. Uh, as much as I can from, from him. Hi, he is Tony Nadal, and uh, I want to say some words for David Ferrer. David Ferrer was always a, speci a special guy for me. I was a good friend of him. I don't like to play against because he was too good, and I, know, I remember how difficult was normally the matches that uh, Rafael has doing against uh, Raf uh, David. But always uh, good. I wanted the, when Rafael cannot win that uh, the winner was David Ferrer. Then I know that is the last year for David. I hope that uh, in his new life he's so happy than he was in in the tennis. And uh, I want to say David was a special player he was really good and was the most important thing was a, a, real, a really good person and uh, for me for him all the best it's Robbie Koenig yeah just thinking about uh, David Ferrer man what a player so much respect for the guy uh, and perhaps my uh, my greatest memories well there's a couple of them but I think early on in his career when he was starting out you know he was rejected by the Spanish Tennis Federation in favor of uh, Tommy Robredo and uh, he went to work on a construction site for a couple of days and it was a, a serious wake-up call for him he said he couldn't believe how, how hard manual labor was and it was after that experience for a couple of days that he you know he returned to the practice court and it was a shift in his mindset and it helped develop the fighter that we have today and I think it is such a cool story at the start of the journey which has helped shape him to become uh, the player that he is, a guy who who, empty his, who empties his tank every single time that he steps on the court. And, uh, you know, we as tennis commentators, as tennis fans, we are the, the beneficiaries of that effort each and every day. And uh, Mark Twain, one of my, my favorite writers of all time, and he had the quote, it's not the size of the dog in the fight, it's the size of the fight in the dog. And I think he wrote that with David Ferrer in mind. Hi, I'm Carlos Moya. Uh, David, I wish you all the best. You had a very successful career, uh, which is going to end uh, very soon. But I wish you all the best for the uh, rest of your life. Uh, a lot of good uh, challenges coming. Uh, you're creating a family now and with one kid, a few more to come for sure. 
So I, I wish you all the best, uh, all the success that you can have. You, you will deserve it. You're a great guy, so all the best. Hi, this is Robin Hase. David, uh, you've been an unbelievable competitor. I always looked up to you. I can't believe that I'm actually 2-1 up against you in a head-to-head. -head. So I hope I will never play you again before you stop. Uh, but it's, uh, it has been a privilege to be on, uh, with you on court. And I wish you all the best in your uh, life after tennis. Craig O'Shaughnessy here, strategy analyst with the ATP Tour. David Ferrer, I have learned so much from watching your matches over the years. Your runaround forehand, your flat, your ultra flat backhand, and then taking that runaround forehand in the ad court. I've copied that strategy of yours. I've delivered it to other pros. I've delivered it to juniors. You are a master at that strategy. One of my favorite moments, I want to go back to the 2012 US Open quarterfinal. I sat in the very front row on Arthur Ashe. I watched you defeat Janko Tipsarovic, 6-3, in the fifth set, four in the breaker. It was one of the greatest matches I've ever seen. Two gladiators going at it. Your will to win, your belief to win, your attitude of not getting down on yourself is, is so inspiring. Um, I've always loved so much watching you play, and uh, that match will stick with me as one of the top 10 matches I've ever seen sitting live um, at an event. It was, it was absolutely spectacular. David, you have been an inspiration to me and my coaching, and I congratulate you on an outstanding career. Hi, I'm Mark Petchy. I'm Andy Murray's former coach. Obviously, having watched David Ferrer throughout the course of his career, nothing but respect for him. Um, somebody that ultimately, when he leaves the sport, is going to have absolutely no regrets. So many memorable moments, really, from Ferrer, but probably arguably just because I'm British and worked with Andy, the final in Miami a number of years ago, one of the most epic finals I've seen in a Masters 1000 that epitomized everything about David Ferrer and I suppose in some respects the fact that he ended up becoming the runner-up uh, against one of the big four members really sort of symbolizes ultimately how tough it was for him to get over the finishing line and win titles but one of the greatest players not to have won a major and that shouldn't be taken in the wrong way. How on earth do I follow that? Yes, Arv Palmer here with my favorite David Ferrer moment uh, and it for me comes uh, back in 2013 where he was in the final up against Andy Murray just a blisteringly hot conditions that day both incredible athletes both players that pride themselves on being a couple of the fittest guys out there was just going toe-to-toe -to -toe. and such drama uh, towards the end of that match when Ferrer had match point and he actually challenged a, a point he stopped the point and and uh, it was match point to him and and you know Hawkeye, the, the crowd were going ballistic. He was getting incredible support. Being being a Spaniard playing in Miami, Latino sport was off the charts. Crowd going wild, and it just caught the back of the line. So he lost the point, and unfortunately, he went on to, to lose to Andy Murray. But for for me, that was uh, an a, an amazing moment. The atmosphere, the drama there towards the end, and I think that just uh, you know that was him in a nutshell. Ferrer, the way he actually just bounced back and just kind of accepted it even though he didn't go on to, to win he just kind of accepted the moment and both at the, the change of ends I remember sitting down at the change of ends they're kind of looking at each other thinking are you kidding me you must be tired because I am tired and, and, and both you know looking like they're cramping never seen for a cramp in my life and he was struggling physically it was it was great drama great tennis hi David I'm it's Pierre Gerber um, 
just this little message to uh, congratulate you for your amazing career. Uh, I watched you play uh, growing up uh, on TV. Uh, just, um, yeah, maybe one of the best behavior on court I've ever seen. seen. Never giving up and uh, I just wish you um, uh, an amazing uh, after career and uh, enjoy not being on the court. I'm uh, Riccardo Piatti. Uh, David was a big, big example for everybody. Of course, uh, he read, uh, he's finished uh, now, but uh, we've we, we taken your, my mind uh, all what he did and uh, good luck uh, in this, the other part of the life. Hi, my name is Alberto Verazatei. I had great, great memories uh, with David Ferrer. And I think uh, for me, one of the best times that I had with him was in Davis Cup in uh, in uh, United States. I was uh, coaching Feliciano, and I had uh, the pleasure to be in, uh, joining the team. And I, I think I learned a lot from him because uh, not only in the court, but outside of the court, he's one of the greatest guys. And uh, as a person, as a player, one of our best players, I think he's uh, uh, one of the players that everyone should look at because he, he's a fighter. I mean, it's unbelievable. And I think we are going to try, as a tournament, we're going to try our best to, to give him what he needs to do to finish his, his, his career, no? his career. Eating dinner last night with him, and he, he said, I want to finish my career playing a big match. Uh, if I have to lose, I want to lose to a, one of the biggest, one of the top players, maybe Novak, maybe... Roger, maybe Rafa, he deserves to finish his career this way because he's one of the greatest players we had in this country and one of the best players in tennis. The only thing I can say is thank you, David, because uh, it was a pleasure for for us, uh, for, for me, to watch you play and to, to leave tennis around you because uh, you, have, you are one of the greatest. Our thanks to all those who contributed, plus the many more we've spoken with over the past few weeks. But the final word on David Ferrer goes to, well, who else but the king of clay, his good friend, Rafael Nadal. Well, difficult to speak about David, no? David is uh, one of the best friends that I have on tour and uh, he achieved uh, the most important thing in, in the sport, I believe, no? that is uh, that he had the determination to be better and better and better all the time and that's very difficult no? and he, he made that happen and uh, is a well one of the best examples possible for the for the next generations uh, all the things that he made for to become better and to arrive to where he uh, arrived so this is a big loss for for our sport but at the same time i am happy that he he will have a happy family he will enjoy his son with leo now and yeah, uh, we're going to miss him in the national team, shared a lot of important moments to, together and in the, in the locker room. But, you know, the watch never stops and uh, for everybody <laughs> arrives the day. Yes, it was an incredible week for uh, David Ferrer, wasn't it? No, great thanks, of course, to Seb Lozier for so much of that work uh, right around uh, the venue in Madrid. But for David Ferrer, just memories from now on as he moves on with the rest of his life, whether that uh, stays in tennis, and I think it will, um, we'll wait and see. So our attention now turns to Rome. Lucy, 
the Internazionale BNL d'Italia, which uh, is well underway in fairness, and our ball-by-ball -ball, uh, coverage on ATP Tennis Radio starts at uh, 10.30 local time on Monday morning. Chris Bowers, Gigi Salmon, Phil Studd, and, of course, Nick McCarvel is uh, our man on the ground in Rome. And we're pondering our tips. Well, in fact, we've already put them in, haven't we? We won't come clean with who they are yet, but I'm going to say I have gone for Rafa this week. You've gone for Rafa. My top one's Dominic team. I've gone with him again third week in a row, so he, he needs to, to come up with the goods. Otherwise... I am well and truly going to be in last position, I'm sure. Uh, so I mentioned that Nick McCarvel uh, is on the ground uh, this week in uh, Roma, and he's already been doing some fine work. Well, I'm interrupting your lunch, but yeah. we have something very important to talk about. First off, tell me your name and where are you from? My name is Margherita, and I'm coming from a, a town nearby Florence. Okay, and have you been here to the Italian Open before? Yes, yes, I come here every year. But actually this time, uh, me and my sister plan to go to Roland Garros. Right. And we are going to go only because uh, we were not sure that Roger would have come here. So we decided, yes, we must try to see him. And uh, we decided to plan Roland Garros. Okay, so and is this your family here with you today? My sister and my father. Okay, and your father, I, I spotted you because your father has a Roger Federer hat. And that's the big news. Roger's coming back yes, to Rome. Yes, yes, unbelievable. We really we really don't think we will see him today yeah. uh, because uh, I'm quite sure, I, I don't know why and how, but I'm quite sure that uh, he will arrive today, but we, he will train tomorrow. But uh, in any case, we are here uh, hanging around and uh, checking everything. And I, I think I see a Federer autograph on that hat. Is that right? No, How, no? no, no, it's Dimitrov. Oh, Dimitrov. <laughs> we have never. Did you get it today? Uh, I actually missed it, but I saw him uh, last year, and I also have a picture with him. Okay, so other than Roger, who is our favorite player to watch uh, here it, at the Italian Open? It could be, it should be um, Dimitrov, but now I'm really into Tsitsipas. Tsitsipas. So yes. he's in the final in Madrid. I saw it. I saw it. Yes, yes, yes. And I'm so disappointed that I cannot see him. But uh, okay, see live tennis now. So yeah, good. <laughs> well, thank you for letting me interrupt your lunch and no uh, enjoy the tennis. It is. It was a pleasure and always a good training for my English. Yeah, good. Thanks so much. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Nick McCarvel there, and he'll be keeping us across uh, all sorts of different features and interviews uh, as the uh, Internazionale BNL d'Italia progresses over the next week, uh, all the way up to next weekend's final. It really is a feast of tennis at this time of year, isn't it? It is. I mean, the, the fields are just so strong. Everyone's playing, aren't they? So, I mean, there's uh, I mean, there's some unbelievable first rounds, let alone the rest of the tournament. So it should be another fantastic week. Oh, no doubt, and uh, the uh, the clay season builds up towards Roland Garros as well. And of course, if you're anyone, you want to play in the Madrid and Rome anyway to to try and you know hone your form to make sure that you're in absolute perfect shape for Roland Garros. But they're two such wonderfully supported events. You you, you only have to look at the list of winners to think that I need to be in that event. And, and once again, the field is extremely strong. So, uh, Lucy, that just about does us in Madrid. It's been a great pleasure sharing the commentary box with you over the course of the week. It's been great fun, hasn't it? I mean, we've been lucky enough to to witness a, a number of really excellent tennis matches. I mean, there's been some, some great tennis all week. 
It has. It's been wonderful. So thanks so much for your company as well, wherever you're listening to us uh, right around the world, live on the radio, on the podcast. It's always lovely having your company as we traverse through the, the tennis year. We're on air from half past 10 for day one proper, if you like, of the Antonazionale BNL d'Italia uh, with the team on Monday morning and then right throughout the week, as I said. My thanks to everyone who's helped us put everything to air in Madrid and everyone who's contributed to everything with the Mature Madrid Open and ATP Tennis Radio's coverage. And from me, Steve Pierce, on behalf of everyone, thanks so much for joining us and uh, we look forward to uh, catching up with you in Roma. If you like this podcast, please search the iTunes store for ATP Tennis Radio to leave a review. review.